in Matthew chapter, last week we covered Matthew chapter 11 and we finished up and today we're in Matthew chapter 12. And for the past few weeks, what we've seen, at least we saw this at the beginning of chapter 11, is that the tide is beginning to turn against Jesus. Whereas before Jesus was tolerated, and even uh, large crowds came to see his miracles and hear him preach, the uh, religious leaders now have sized him up, evaluated him, and are now turning against him. And uh, they see Jesus as a threat to their leadership, a threat to their secure jobs, which they may lose if the crowd starts following Jesus. So today, beginning in chapter 12 and verse 1, we see that this conflict between the religious leaders and Jesus becomes much more pronounced. Now let me remind you from last week that we saw that the masses of Jewish people, probably 90% of the Jewish people in Jesus' day, lived under a very heavy burden. And the burden came from two sources. The Roman government had had burdened the people down with uh, an enormous amount of taxes. And they were required to work from sunup to sundown, and you only made enough to live on. And so they were burdened by the Roman government, but the Jewish people were also burdened by their own leaders, especially the Pharisees, who put them under the heavy burden of the law, the law of Moses. Now, God only gave Ten Commandments. But the rabbis added 613 more. Uh, and these, each one of these laws elaborated on one of the commandments. And there were 600, uh, 365 of those commandments uh, for one day, designated one commandment for each day of the year. And then the remainder, 248 commandments, corresponded to each part of the human body as they understood it. total of 613 commandments. So, this is the context for our story. These people are burdened down. And we're going to see how they're burdened down. And the context for chapter 12, at least the first part of chapter 12, centers on two Sabbath controversies. Two Sabbath controversies. And we're going to see how Jesus interprets the law and how the Pharisees interpret the law. One that puts a burden on you and the other one that lifts the burden from you. Okay, So here's how we're going to outline it. Verses 1 through 8 is a Sabbath controversy about picking grain. The picking of grain on the Sabbath. And then verses 9 through 14, the healing of a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. Okay, So that's our outline. So let's look at the first point, the picking of grain. Look at verses 1 and 2. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the, Sag- or when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples, look what your disciples are doing. They're doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And so the issue is the breaking of of the fourth commandment, the breaking of the Sabbath. And the disciples are accused of picking grain 
on the day of rest. That's how chapter 11 and chapter 12 are linked. Remember what Jesus talked about? Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I'll give you what? Rest. Well, now we talk about the day of rest, which is the Sabbath. The disciples and Jesus are picking grain, and the disciples say they should be resting on the Sabbath, not working on the Sabbath. Now, where would they come up with that idea that picking a piece of grain and eating it because you're hungry would be work? Well, let me show you, okay? So, mark your spot here and go to Exodus 34. Exodus 34. And see if this doesn't sound familiar. And when you get to Exodus 34, look down at verse 21. Now, Jesus' argument and uh, the Pharisees' argument is very interesting when you look at the exchange between them. So, Exodus 34 and 21, here is the commandment. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. So, we're going to see Jesus' understanding of rest and the Pharisees' understanding of rest. You shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest time, meaning on the Sabbath, you shall rest. So, they're taking this commandment and they're applying it to Jesus. Now, is Jesus harvesting a crop? Is he plowing a field? Now, what's he doing? And he just walked along. They got hungry. So let's take one of these heads of corn or wheat. Let's, let's eat something. We're starving. So you can see how the Pharisees misapply the law. Now how in the world did they say what Jesus was doing was breaking the Sabbath when it doesn't say that here? That's part of the 613 laws that they've added and interpreted. And that's the burden. This is the kind of burden that the Pharisees are putting on the people. Now, you would think that this would not be a burden because... Actually, they can rest, but no, this rest happens to be a burden. The way they are interpreting it. See? So this is part of the burden that the Jewish people are having to shoulder. So look what Jesus does. He uses an example. In answering them, he uses an example. So go back to chapter 12 and look what he says. And look at verse 3. Illustration or example number 1. But he, that's Jesus, said to them, have you not read what David did, meaning King David, when he was hungry? He and those with, who were with him. How he entered into the house of God, that was the tabernacle, and he ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Now notice what he says. Have you not read? And of course they had read about this event. In fact, we read about it not too long ago. When we were in the Psalms. Remember, we one of the backdrops for one of those Psalms was that David and his men were fleeing King Saul. They got hungry. They went into the tabernacle. They said, we need something to eat. The priest said, we don't have anything to eat except the showbread. Not lawful to eat the showbread. The only people that eat the showbread are the priests. But guess what they do? Give it to David and his men, and they, quote, break the law. And so Jesus is saying, look, King David did this. Don't you remember it? Now notice, he doesn't argue with the Pharisees. 
You don't see an argument ensuing. But what he does is he points out that King David is an example. And that human need, this is how Jesus interprets the law, human need has precedence over ritual. Human need has precedence over laws. And you're going to see how he uh, develops this. Now he gives a second illustration. And that illustration is found in verse 5. Look what he says. Or, here's my second point, he says, Have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless. He says, have you ever considered this? Priests work on the Sabbath. You ever consider that? They don't rest. They have to work. If they work on the Sabbath, then what would they be doing? Breaking the law. They say, you might be off today, but guess who's working? I'm working, right? If you would consider, I don't say that Sunday's the Christian Sabbath, but a lot of people do, but guess what? We consider it a day of rest, but every preacher around the nation's working on Sunday. Are we breaking God's law? Shouldn't we have this day of rest on Sunday? So Jesus says, look, the priests have to work on Sunday. Now what do they have to do on Sunday? I want to show you, it's very interesting. Show you two things that they had to do on Sunday. First, it's found in Leviticus, so you were in Exodus. Go now to Leviticus. And go to Leviticus 24. And this deals with the bread. He's dealing with food items, which is sort of interesting. And he talks about how the priest get the table ready, the table of showbread, like in verse 6, before the Lord. And this is Leviticus 24, 6. And then 7 says, And you shall put pure frankincense on each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And every Sabbath he shall set it in Order. You see that? The priest has to work on the Sabbath. He has to exchange the showbread and put the new showbread in. And then he eats the showbread with the other priest and maybe some members of his family. So there's an example of a priest working on Sunday and then he actually eating that bread on Sunday. Now if you go to Numbers, just keep on moving, you'll find Leviticus, Numbers, and go to Numbers 28. I'll give you a second example how the priests work on Sunday. And they should have known this. Jesus is just pointing it out. Now when you get to Numbers 28, look down at verse 9. And here's what happens on the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath day, can you believe such a thing? Two lambs in their first year without blemish, and two tenths of an ephah, of fine flour as a grain of offering, mixed with oil, with its drink offering. This is the burnt offering for every, what? Sabbath. 
See, now the priest had to take care of burnt offerings on the Sabbath. The priest had to work on the Sabbath. And so that's Jesus' argument right there. That's his case that he is making. So when you go back to Matthew 12, you see this. So look what he says in Matthew 12 and verse 6. Yet I say to you, in other words, even the priest has to work in the temple on the Sabbath. Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. Now what in the world does that mean? There's one greater than the temple. It could mean Jesus is greater than the temple. It could mean that. He's greater than the priesthood. It could mean that. Uh, it's very interesting. Notice it just says one. Your, some of your translations may even have a sort of a uh, an italics in there. Uh, the word is in the neuter. You know, we in English we have a in gender we have male and we have female gender. So if I say he, you know, I'm talking about a man. If I say she, you know, I'm talking about a woman. That's gender. But in the Greek, there's also a neuter. And so here he says, there is one greater than the temple. What's the one? We don't know what the one is. Is it talking about Jesus? Talking about Messiah? Is it talking about a human being? The human being is more important than the temple? Because human need certainly is an issue here. Is he talking about the kingdom of God is more important than the temple? We're not sure, but he's saying that, hey, there's something that's more important than what you guys are talking about. Okay? So whatever it is, there's something that's greater than that, more important than that. Then look what he says in verse 7. But if you had known what this means, what what means? Hosea 6.6. 6, I desire mercy and not what? Sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. See, what God is concerned about is not going through the rituals of sacrifice. God doesn't need a lamb. He doesn't need a burnt offering. That's not what he needs. He's not concerned with you going through the motions of religion. See? He said, if you would have understood this from Hosea 6.6, 6, which, by the way, he quoted a few chapters earlier, that God desires what? Mercy, which means compassion, love, kindness, uh, meeting people's needs. If you would have understood, that's what God really wants. He wants to see you meeting people's needs and showing compassion and being kind to any people and, and loving on people rather than, oh, every I always keep the laws. I keep this law, that law. I've never, I've never committed murder. Oh, God said, you haven't? Pretty good. But don't tell me what you haven't done. Tell me what you have done. See? They were concerned about the law. And God is concerned about human beings and needs being met. And that's what you're going to see this whole passage is about. So God is concerned about the, His people who entered into a covenant with Him, loving each other the way they should. Look, you want to fulfill the law? You want to keep the law? What's the greatest law, Jesus? Here it is. Love God with all your heart and what? Your neighbor is yourself. That's what he's concerned about. And when you do that, guess what? 
you fulfilled the law. So this is what Jesus is saying. If you had known that, if you discerned that, if you'd understood that, but guess what? That's not, they don't understand that. They don't interpret the law that way. They interpret the law on the surface. They interpret the law just reading it literally and stiff. See? That's why Jesus comes along and he gives us the real interpretation of the law. Remember he said, it, remember back in the Beatitudes, he said, It was said of old, thou shalt not. And then what was the next part of his statement? Yeah, but I say unto you. Remember, Jesus took the law and he's told how they interpret it. And then he says, but let me tell you what it really means. And Jesus would interpret it real meaning. And he said, if you had understood this, you wouldn't be going around blaming people that have not done anything wrong. Blaming guiltless people. How many times have we blamed people? Ah, you see what they did like that? And we base it on some scripture. We hang a scripture on them. And we condemn those people. When you're misinterpreting the scripture, they're not guilty of breaking that scripture. You're guilty of being a judge. I've never done that. Have I? Yeah, we're all guilty of that. See? So there's a deeper truth, and the deeper truth is we are to show compassion and kindness toward each other. That trumps the law. The way you interpret it. The law. So guilt, is Jesus guilty of breaking any law then? When he picks the grain? No. Okay, then look what he says. This is a great statement too. One, it's very hard to interpret. In fact, verse 8, we don't know if Jesus says this or not. We know that Jesus says verse 7. But look at verse 8. It's an explanation. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So, we don't know whether Jesus, even though it's in red, in my Bible it's in red, is Jesus saying that? Or is Matthew saying that to his audience that he's writing to? Based on what Jesus says, Matthew says, and let me explain. You see, the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. We don't know. But you see that phrase, Son of Man? What do you think that means? Oh, well, you can give me a quick answer, can't you? Ah, it's Jesus, just like that. Ah, thank you very much. You just solved my problem. No, we don't know what that phrase, Son of Man, means. Uh, it could mean Jesus. <coughs> Official title, Son of Man. Sometimes it just means I. When Jesus speaks, he says, The Son of Man comes not to do this, and he just means I've come not to do this. It could just mean I. Sometimes the Son of Man simply means a human being. A human being. And you, every time you see that phrase, you have to say, is Jesus, is it a title for Jesus? Is it just a substitute for the pronoun I? Or does it mean a man, a human being? And you have to determine that. And what, what I do in my classes, I'm trying to teach my students how to interpret which is which? How do you interpret that? And you have to interpret it based on the context. Okay. Now it's a very that's why I say it's very hard to determine what son of man means. Okay. If it means a man, just a human being, it makes sense. It makes as much sense as saying Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. 
it makes sense if you just say man is the Lord of the Sabbath. You say, what in the world does that mean? Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Well, let me ask you this. Um, which was created first? Man or the Sabbath? Uh, man was created on the sixth day, and the Sabbath was created on the seventh day. After God creates man, there's a resting period. So, guess what? Man is not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is what? Made for the man. See, so the focus is not so much on, hey, we should all keep the Sabbath. The focus is on the Sabbath is to serve man. And interpreted correctly, it can serve man. So we don't know if it means human being or if it means son of man, but it really doesn't matter. The important thing is, guess what? The Sabbath doesn't trump. The Sabbath doesn't trump Jesus. The Sabbath doesn't trump the disciples. And the Sabbath doesn't trump us. When it's interpreted correctly, it's made for us. So, Jesus talks about the Sabbath. And they want him to rest on the Sabbath, and they are interpreting what he's doing as work. And Jesus says, well, you have the wrong definition of work and rest. Now, we go to the healing on the Sabbath and see if all this doesn't come together and make sense. Look at verse 9. Now, when he departed from there, that would be the temple area, or wherever he was, he went into their synagogue. This would be where those Pharisees are. And behold, there was a man with a withered hand. You're going to like this. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now why did they say that? That they might accuse him. They're not concerned about this man with the withered hand. They couldn't care a hoot about his welfare. What they're concerned about. What are they concerned about? Yeah, they want to track Jesus because they want him to say, sure, you can heal the man on the Sabbath. Ah, it breaks the law, it breaks the law. Because if you heal on the Sabbath, what have you just done? Work. You're supposed to be resting. See? So that's the situation. <laughs> and so look what Jesus says. So Jesus asked them a question. Gives them an illustration. Isn't it interesting how we're, by the way, how we're so concerned about the law and rituals and doing things the same way, and, but we're really not concerned about our fellow human beings. It just this amazes me. So Jesus says, well, let me ask you a question. Verse 11. What man is there among you? Let me ask you. Anybody here in this room, he says, who has one sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, uh, who will not lay hold of it and lift it out. Is there anybody here who wouldn't pick your sheep who falls into a pit out of that pit on the Sabbath? And the answer is no, we'd all, we'd all go after our sheep. Because we have an emergency situation. But to do that, guess what you have to do? You have to work. So Jesus is, they're trying to trap Jesus, and guess what Jesus is doing? He's going to trap them. See? So they would say, oh, you, yeah, Jesus, you can work, but that's the exception to the rule. There's an emergency here. See, they have their exception. 
The problem is this man with the withered hand, his problem is an emergency. You don't have to be healed today on the Sabbath. You can heal it tomorrow, can't you? So notice how they're interpreting the law. You have to keep the law, with the one exception, if there is an emergency. Emergency. Okay? So this guy isn't facing an emergency. But Jesus doesn't interpret the law that way. That's how they interpret the law. How does Jesus interpret the law? Look what he says. How much, verse 12, more value then is a what? Man than a sheep. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus says the issue is not emergency versus non-emergency. The issue is human need versus animal need. Isn't a human... If you pick up your animal, it's not as valuable as a human being. Wouldn't you help the human being? So he makes it human versus animal. Human need is the issue. So, he, and he says it in verse, verse 12, he says, Therefore it is lawful to do what? Good on the Sabbath. When you help a human being, you've done good on the Sabbath. Now you have to think about that, because I can just give you the answers to all these questions. You need to think about that. To do good on the Sabbath, to, to, help, to help a human being, is to do what? Good on it. But to help a human being, what do you have to do? Work. So work on the Sabbath would be what? It'd be good if you're helping a human being. Now watch this. If you don't help the human being on the Sabbath, you're resting. But in that case, the rest would be what? Bad. <laughs> so the work would be what? Good. To rest on the Sabbath would be? Obviously, their definition of rest is different than Jesus' definition of rest. There are times when Jesus says, come unto me, I'll give you rest. I'll give you the right kind of rest. You don't need to rest on the Sabbath when there's human need. When you see human need, you need to help the people in need. So Jesus is pointing out all their inconsistencies here. Now look at verse 13. Then he said to the man, I love this, you're going to like this, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out. And it was restored as whole as the other. This is the greatest. Oh, I love this. You didn't see it, did you? Jesus heals the man without touching him. Jesus heals the man without even working, <laughs> without even lifting a finger. He just speaks to him and the man's healed. He's got them trapped. <laughs> He's healed the man and he hasn't done anything. I love it. <laughs> without touching the man. So he doesn't work, he just speaks. The man's healed. What can they do? They just have to sit there and bite their tongue, don't they? Well, no, that's not what they do. <clears throat> Look what they do, verse 14. Then the Pharisees went out and they plotted against him how they might restore him. Well, I thought after the man was healed, they would say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, a healing's taking place. Wouldn't you? If we had somebody that came from the war in Afghanistan or was injured in Iraq and 
their arm was not working, their hand wasn't working because of a mortar shell or scrapnel or something. And, and it was like this. And they came in here and I said to a group of people, get around this person, let's pray for them. And when they did, their hand was healed. Wouldn't we go crazy in this room? I think we would. This guy's healed. They don't even, they don't even say praise the Lord. Uh, do you see the irony? The man's healed. What do they do? They go out and they plot against Jesus. They have a planning session on the Sabbath. <gasps> Wait a second, they're working. You see, isn't this the greatest? They don't even see their inconsistency. They don't even see their hypocrisy. They go out and they start working on it. Let's get together. We have to have a planning session. What time? Well, it's about noon. Let's get together on the Sabbath. And they start plotting. And what do they plot to do? Yeah, destroy him, to kill him. But look what Jesus does up in verse 13. He said, stretch out your hand, and it was what? Restored. Jesus is in the restoration business. These people are in the destruction business. Jesus restores, they destroy. Jesus heals, they try to kill. So, that comes to the end of our passage. So now what do we make out of this? What's our lesson? What, is, what can we learn from this? Well, here's, let me tell you the first lesson I got out of it. One's the obvious lesson. The second is a, it's not so obvious. Remember when Matthew's writing this? 40 years later, maybe? Who knows how many years later? 40 years, 50 years later? And he's writing to an audience. He's writing to an audience of Jewish people. They're probably rubbing some shoulders with some Gentiles. And their relatives and their friends are saying, break with Christianity. You need to get back under the law. We don't worship on Sunday. You should be worshiping on Saturday. Saturday's the Sabbath. Saturday's the day of rest. And Christians are going out and touching people and feeding people and doing all these good things. And all this pressure is coming from their family and friends. Come back to Judaism. Come back under the law. And guess what Jesus says? He says, when you come back under the law the way the Pharisees interpret it, all you experience is a heavy burden. And so Matthew chooses these two stories to write about. John doesn't write about these two stories. But Matthew chooses these two stories to write about to help his people some 40 years later and encourage them just to stay put and continue to love their neighbors and love God with all their hearts. And they won't have to worry about breaking any law. And then, of course, the message that Jesus gave, which is in verse 7, which is what you really need to be concerned about is being merciful compassionate and loving people. That's what God says concerns Him. This is His will for our lives. That's the key verse in Hosea 6 and, and all of the book of Hosea. I desire mercy. I desire compassion rather than sacrifice. And so this is what we should be fulfilling our lives with and doing in our lives. We should be reaching out. That's why it's so important. I'm glad Sandy Keaton's here. Because Sandy Keaton is going out and she's reaching these children in East Dallas with the gospel. And you're helping her 
feed them and meet the family's needs. You know, we're going to give her that food and she's going to take it on a Sunday, the so-called Christian Sabbath. <laughs> and may even pass it out to those apartment people. Today on the Christian Sabbath, can you imagine such a thing? Where is Sandy? You better not work. <laughs> Don't ever come back to this class if we see you work today. <laughs> you see how ridiculous that is? The important thing is that the kingdom of God is different. We're in the kingdom of God error. We're not under some Old Testament law, some rigid law. We are to be express what the kingdom of God is all about. And the kingdom of God is a time of joy when people's needs are met. It's a time when you feast. It's a look, the future kingdom. Is anybody going to be hungry in the future kingdom when the millennium comes on earth? Not one person. Will anybody be sick when the future kingdom comes on earth? There won't be anybody sick. And guess what? Christ is reigning from his throne right now, and we're already experiencing the kingdom in just a little bit of degree. And guess what we should do? Whatever we can do to feed the people and to heal the people, we should do it. Because we're citizens of the kingdom of God. Next week we pick up at verse 15 and see what Jesus has to say there. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we're not like some legalistic churches and denominations that say we have to keep Saturday as a Sabbath, that that we have to be law keepers to be righteous. We have to abstain from certain foods as if that pleases you. We have friends and relatives, Lord, who call themselves Christians but keep Saturday as a Sabbath. They do all these different things. They try to put pressure on their families to adhere to all these rules and regulations. Help us to realize, Lord, that we're not living under the law. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The end-time Holy Spirit that empowers us to minister and manifest the love of Christ to others. Oh, Lord, help us to fulfill our responsibility and in doing that, fulfill the real intention of the law. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.